If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Acharya Shunya. Now, Acharya means master teacher and Shunya is truly a master. So we'll learn more about her. Acharya Shunya is a truth teller who facilitates authenticity, self-remembrance, and divine feminine pathways to awakening within. The first female head of her 2,000-year-old Indian spiritual lineage, Shunya reinterprets and recontextualizes ancient teachings for modern times, empowering people everywhere to lead fearless, fulfilled, and enlightened lives. She is the president of Awakened Self Foundation and founder of Vetka Global in California and is the author of best-selling books, Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom and Sovereign Self. Welcome, Shunya. Thank you. It's such a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And it's so great to learn about your first name, you being a master teacher, because I was going to call you that, you know, through this whole interview. (laughs) So thank you for correcting me that it's your title. The first question I had is what does it mean to roar like a goddess? Well, I chose this title for my latest book because this, this is Diwali crackers. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> I'm in India and Diwali was yes, was a day before yesterday. But oh, I was thinking it was Monday. Yeah, day before yesterday. Yeah. That's right. A Monday. I think these are the last. Maybe some somebody has left over. <laughs> it's unbelievable. They're just continuing. They were oh silent until now. <laughs> and, just for our interview is a celebration. Oh my gosh. In a way it's kind of funny, but the, <laughs> but it's also like, okay, a divine interruption, a celebration. Uh, yesterday was a powerful day too. The new moon. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's been, um, so I'm in India currently. Okay. And I celebrated Diwali here. Yeah. And how and, was that? Yeah. You know, it's terrific. I was surrounded by lots and lots of people. And it was quiet until now, until someone on the street said, I have some leftover <laughs> fireworks in there. Yeah. And they're so quiet again. Okay. We try? We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We could try. If it, if it happens again, then I'm going to request that we reschedule. Yeah. That sounds good. When India is quieter. <laughs> <laughs> and that that does happen sometimes. What part of India are you in right now? I am in northern India. I'm in Delhi, actually. In Delhi, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've been there. I'm from a very small town 
where my ashram is, but I'm visiting Delhi right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And what's the name of your town that you're from? Ayodhya. Oh, okay. Where Rama, Lord Rama was born. It's a holy city. Mm, okay. Beautiful. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, what does it mean to roar like a goddess? In my newest book, Roar Like a Goddess, I have um, thought that what would the authentic voice of women sound like if we stop placating and seducing and explaining and manipulating and doubting ourselves? What would that voice be like? And I felt like it would be so authoritative. It would be like a roar that's heard in the jungle. And so Roaring is definitely a woman who's empowered to her opinions and to what she believes is the truth that, that must be expressed. And the goddess part is just uh, how I compare a modern woman to archetypes from ancient India. We have legends where goddesses were bold, unapologetic, they called a spade a spade. They led big, beautiful, pleasure-filled and dharma-led lives. And so this book is born and this invitation to women worldwide to roar like a goddess. Mm, I love that invitation. And some of the goddesses like um, Lakshmi, like some, what are some of the goddesses of, um, of ancient that you know of that really roared like a goddess that we can embody? In my book, I talk mainly about three goddesses. Well, a couple more, but the three main goddesses are Durga, Lakshmi, and Saraswati. And Durga is often known as a warrior goddess because she does not hesitate to channel her rage. And in fact, I talk about how raging is a goddess thing to do because for too long we have learned to suppress and suffocate our rage or at the least question it or feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. But Durga has no such qualms. <laughs> and she rages when Dharma or what is good and truthful and righteous for all beings is violated. And uh, when she channels her rage, she sets things right. Just like when we channel our rage with our wrong eating, we embark on a healthy diet plan. So that rage is necessary to make corrections because it's, it informs us of what's not okay. And so Durga is a goddess I talk about to restore our power. And then I talk about Lakshmi and I love this goddess because she teaches us how to lead lives with pleasure, with joy, with wholeness, with self-compassion, self-care, self-honoring, self-esteem, self-respect. And I feel like all, we all, all of us need this. And finally, there is goddess Saraswati, and she is the goddess of wisdom, intuition, spiritual learning, introspection, meditation, greater insights, an inward movement, a higher quest. And that goddess is also necessary for empowered living because you know how it is. We women get involved in the transactional relationships and in our roles as moms and wives and sisters and daughters, 
or partners, and we forget that we have a greater purpose, and we may have a goddess-like self within that we want to discover and connect with. And these goddesses, they um, they give me enough 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 content to to reimagine what what I can become and to have hope for my future self. And I utilize them and now I bring them forward for the entire world. Mm, Yeah, that's amazing. And it's interesting. Sometimes I do spiritual healings and sometimes I've never had Saraswati come in, but Lakshmi has come in on uh, my healings before. And yeah, it's so beautiful. I I feel like a lot of these um, ancient goddesses want to come and help us now and, and, you know, and channeling your wisdom and their wisdom through your book could be one of the ways we could embody them instead of, I just feel like they don't necessarily want us to worship them. They want us to learn from them and embody their essence. Do do you feel that? You said it so beautifully and thank you for saying it. And I grew up in a tradition worshiping them, my entire Mm -hmm. country and people worldwide worship goddesses really. But I want to think like a goddess. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to roar like a goddess because Durga used to roar. And I want to roar. I want to. I want to be a goddess in a corporate room. I want to be a goddess when I'm lovemaking. I want to be a goddess when I'm being a mom to my son. And uh, that's why I have in my own work brought the goddesses down a few notches to mix with us humans, and I've elevated us humans to a greater goddess, a divine feminine consciousness. And so this book. Um, is more than just waiting for miracles. We are the miracle and it's unfolding it and it's high time. And I really hope that women who are waiting to be rescued by a man or a god goddess learn to learn to bring some kind of liberation to their own beliefs and live, um, live the life they were meant to lead. Yeah, that's beautiful. How old is your son? He's 27. Oh, beautiful. And do you have other children? I have a couple of dog children. Oh, wonderful. Yes, I have a dog child too. She's actually scratching to get in right now, but I'm not going to let her in. Tell me about your spiritual lineage. I was fortunate to be born in a family that has been distinguished in the plains of northern India uh, for several centuries. In fact, we are an ancient culture and it's not hard for us to trace our ancestry a couple of hundred years uh, in most families. And because mine is exceptional, we have been teachers and spiritual leaders. We've been written about, talked about, we've been revered and looked up to. Our history goes back 2000 years. And this may seem unbelievable in America, but it is entirely believable in India. And my remote ancestors were famous, famous seers and my immediate ancestors too. My grandfather, who was my guru, my great grandfather, my father, 
they're all really renowned and remarkable people. And interestingly, we've had this all male lineage where a male teacher, um, a bloodline, we passed on the baton to the next person. And I am the first female that was chosen. And I think my guru knew that the 21st century will need a compassionate woman and also a broken woman because I identify with my brokenness too. Though I've had a privileged life, I have not been immune to the, um, to the subtle games that are played with women folk in general and how I've had to, I've had to work harder to earn my title, to keep it, to demonstrate that I'm worthy of it just because I'm a woman. And, um, uh, and then on the world stage where I have students from every part of the world, I have found that patriarchy doesn't just dwell in feudal cultures, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, it just changes form. And what it does is that it, it forces men, women and men and people of other genders, non-binary genders to behave in artificial ways. We're not able to channel the goddess energy. We're not able to live by her wisdom. We're not able to love and become lovable. We're broken and we break each other. And I want to live in a world where every new child, no matter what their gender is a goddess spark. And there is this feminine collaborative power that is operating amidst, amongst, amidst us instead of this masculine version of haves and have-nots and worthy and unworthy. And those who can sit on the, on the first table and those who have to be in the peripheral somewhere else. And I wanted to live in that world. I didn't get it when I became an adult. Once I left the cocoon of my family that believed in me and chose me, I met a lot of non-believers, non-supporters. I walked into a marriage that... Um, was it arranged? That threw marriage? me off my... <laughs> oh, yeah, completely. It was arranged. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, it, it was semi-arranged in the sense that the person saw me. I didn't know them. And in India, that can happen. Like somebody sees you and then they propose to your family, not yeah. you. Yeah, they think because you're a beautiful woman and, you know, someone can see. And you also have a lot of light. So, you know, because of your enlightened nature, I, I feel like you've also, um, you're reincarnated of some spiritual leader also. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're reincarnated? I have been wiser than my age always. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad to grow old finally. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you had so catch much up, stuff. catch up with my spirit that whatever I'm chatting. Yeah. yeah. And people can um, take you seriously, believe you and not think yeah. you're just a child. But once I, I start speaking, teaching, healing, everyone takes me seriously. Yes. The beauty gets in the way at times, but now I don't think that's in the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. But it's the, beauty, a, it's true. the beauty is it Lakshmi. Get, it, it does the get in the way. Lakshmi. 
Yeah. The knowledge is Saraswati and my power and presence is Durga. Uh And probably because you're so tuned in with the goddesses, I'm always surrounded by them and you could probably experience that, you know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Even writing of this book, I didn't like my ego didn't choose to write it. Um, oh yeah, she, the great goddess, asked me to. Oh yeah, start. The yeah. sun, yeah, amazing. This is so blowing me away. And also, it's it's getting me to think about my daughter differently because she roars like a goddess. She is uninhibited. She will scream and shout for what she wants. And to be honest, our family is a little intimidated by her and her power. And I don't mean to laugh, but I just think, you know, we're going to talk about this, but I think society can sometimes feel like upset or someone shouldn't scream or, you know, use their voice. And, and she just does it intuitively. So she's seven. Yeah. And we allow her to be that, you know, we don't punish her or anything for sharing her voice, but it's just making me proud of her. Like you're making me proud of her, your book. I need to be more like her. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's a gift. My son was like that. My son was um, from a, from a typical definition, he was a rebel, yeah. but I always knew that he's a leader. Yes. And at a very young age, my son is providing dharmic leadership to good causes and, uh, and he's a self-starter. And I never squashed his leadership potential, but sometimes when we are children and teenagers, we don't know how to flow it. And so it comes out in uncomfortable ways. But perhaps if you read those stories from the from the book to your daughter, because my mother would tell me these stories when I was seven and she'd play act. And because in the book there is not just the power, but also the 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 harmony and the beauty of the goddesses that come through. Yeah. I think I I, I hope that this book will help the seven-year-old. I've also been asked by my publishers to create a version for little girls, um, which may be coming up soon because my publishers believe that this book should be read by young growing girls and people who identify with the feminine gender so that, yeah, so that they can accept themselves more and the caregivers can understand them more and allow them free passage to blossom into who they're meant to be. Oh, I love that. And you know, I'm a children's book author and my kids have written children's books and we've all published our our books. I would love, I would love to help you with that. That would be incredible. I think I'm going to pull you in into my resource pool. Yeah, I would love to look up your books. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, my books were inspired by my children and the Chinese astrology. So my first book was Kinley, the water dragon. And 
Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love unicorns. So I wrote another book about that. Uh, But I haven't written anything about deep spirituality. And this is like what I do teaching meditation, and it would just be amazing. That would be so wonderful to have my daughter read this book about Uh, you know, to feel empowered and feel accepted for who she is. And then also for my husband and and my son, because my son is, feels a little bit threatened by her. And so they, they butt heads, you know, so she has to stand up for herself a lot every day, pretty much from her brother, brother, but let's go back to your book. Uh, so how do you interpret ancient teachings for modern times, for the time that we're in? Well, I'm a scholar of the ancient scriptures. I've not only heard goddess mythology and stories from my mother, my guru. Um, I grew up in a culture that celebrates these stories, but I've also read scriptures which talk about the goddess. And I started noticing some trends here that the goddess was more more bold and more real and more authentic than anyone I knew. And if I had to find a role model, these goddesses were amazing. And because I knew their stories inherently, sometimes when I was about to zip up my speech, I'd speak up because I'd remember a story where one of the goddesses had spoken up, had dared to face brutal oppression or 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 you know or the ass to submit and they didn't provided it was right and excuse me for these sounds but i'm in india right now and there is some diwali celebration going on so there might be a few uh fireworks here and there yeah which kind of support our fiery podcast right now exactly i was like it's in alignment with the celebration So I started, uh, and then I've been a spiritual teacher, bringing forward um, Hindu non-dual wisdom known as Vedic wisdom, yogic wisdom, Ayurveda, which is a path of healing to pretty much all continents for the last two decades. So I'd had these students who shared their stories, and I had been using these goddess archetypes and goddess wisdom to help them. And they, I saw them blossoming and, sh- and, and, and shifting and changing and morphing. And then I knew somewhere that, you know, probably this goddess wisdom needs to come out. And then I was just sitting on it because I had so much other stuff that I teach and I had, you know, a full, a, a full life teaching, bringing those knowledge systems until we have a nine day goddess festival in India known as Navaratri, the nine nights of the goddess. And on the sixth night, two years ago, I was working on an Ayurveda book and my hands froze and I knew I had to start a new page and I knew the goddess wanted me to write about her. And then Roar Like a Goddess was born and I've been teaching about her and talking about her to modern women, to modern situations from divorce to the Me Too movement to, you know, to the internalized oppression where we sometimes willingly take a second seat, mm. uh, you know, on the world stage. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing now. Yeah. 
That's wonderful. And how has your book and talks been received? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> wonderfully. Just, uh, it's so timely. That's what I'm told. The book has been a bestseller, of course, and um, it's getting a lot of media and press and um, it has its own trajectory. In fact, I'm quite relaxed. The book just is, is just the goddess got it, you know, she's yeah. taking care of it and it's reaching the people it needs to. And I'm getting emails from different parts of the world because there was a global release in September. And um, I'm surprised at the, at, at the women who are, I mean, I'm surprised at how far the book has reached and how many cultures it has penetrated and how many people feel an affinity with this truth, because it's not Hindu truth or a culturalized truth. It is a universal truth. And it's asking us to step up into our divine immensity and own it and roar from that place. Mm. Yes, Woo! I feel it. <laughs> Give a little roar. Oh, and a firework for us. And firework. <laughs> So tell me about your first marriage. You, you touched on it a little bit. They, they saw you and they asked your family to, um, for your hand in marriage. My guru was an intuitive, enlightened person. And I think he almost knew that I will lose myself in this, in this, um, in this relationship but he didn't but he 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 was the kind of teacher who just kind of makes you think yourself rather than mandating what you should do and should not do that's the and best the guru the, there is yeah that's a guru <laughs> whereas the rest of the family were just happy you know like let's get her these new clothes and let's yeah. you know put the lights out and you know the typical indian big wedding and I walked into a setup where there were all these expectations over a millennia waiting for me. And I had, and I had all this knowingness that, wait, you know, that's nice, but, um, but that's not what I am. I just knew do. it. I'm not born yeah. to do this. Yeah. I'm just not born to do it. And these were my thoughts and they were like, I'm 20 something. And, and, and if I just enunciate them like, oh, no, I'm not born to do this. It sounds so arrogant and so out of place. And it's like, wait, right. you know, are we born to serve you? And you're not born to wash one cup or saucer. Mm -hmm. And I was not trying to say that. What I was trying to say is that my swadharma or my life purpose is to decode the scriptures and teach the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I must have a supportive partner who has yeah. his own thing and we're equals. Yeah. And, 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 which is what I have now. The life I have now is exactly what I knew I was meant to be leading. And where is this? What alley is this? Mm -hmm. I don't recognize this alley where, where all is well, as long as I told the line and, um, I didn't tell the line naturally. Yeah, because you mm -hmm. wanted to make your family happy. And were so the day of your wedding, how did you feel? I felt at the top of the world, as oh. most women do. 
um, I, I wasn't coerced into a marriage because I belonged to a very spiritually progressive family, but it was my temporary belief system that I'm, that this is what's going to complete me. And I yes. talk about how in the book, we inhale the virus of codependency. We inhale it. Like we, like you can be, you can be born in a very illustrious family yeah. and then your hormones plus your 20 years of age, plus the culture, yes, which says that a man completes a woman. Yes. Is it just, you just buy it hook, line and sinker. Yeah. Then you try and make it happen. And so you, so you go through self-sabotage and self-abandonment to somehow be that ideal person except that I didn't try too hard because I'd had this other education mm -hmm. where I knew that this is something's not right it did end up hurting my son who was an infant oh and okay it, it caused it caused deep cracks in you know, a relationship with with my child for a while until I, he grew up and understood and appreciates his mother's decisions. Oh, yes. And at the same time, the self-abandonment and then reclaiming myself with a capital S was necessary for me to be the teacher today. Mm -hmm. For me to not pretend that all is well and celibacy is the way to go and mm -hmm. you know you have to be holy rather than whole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really makes me a real teacher, and probably that's the reason these books of mine, each one of them has done so well. And why you know why the goddess helps me for my truth and vulnerability at the same time. Oh, that's so beautiful. And so was there a moment in the marriage that you realized he, he was suppressing you or you suppressed your voice? What was that moment? I think uh, there was not one moment, but a series of moments mm -hmm. where I knew that I was not roaring. Yeah. And I, and if anybody is to be blamed. It's my guru and my mother. They raised me as his roaring daughter and as this next leader of a lineage. And it was almost like, uh, 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 it was almost like ironical that I would walk into this, this marriage because we are the kind of, we are a lineage where many lineages from India, Hindu lineages are monastic. We are a non-monastic. We are called a householder lineage. We take on um, we take on marriage partners or lovers. We somehow we we have to pay a double tax. We have to live in the world, suffer, <laughs> and we have to be enlightened at the same time. And um, so I was. Uh, it was almost like a classroom, I think. And I think my guru knew mm. that. There will be a period of time when I will lose myself in trying to fit these roles that I was not spiritually or societally through my family groomed for, mm -hmm. but I walked into it and I left with, I would say I left with minimum damage because I had these goddess stories in me. So I wasn't 
traumatized forever or something like that. I could, I could pick myself up, I could come back and roar, and I could be grateful to my ex-husband, who's a friend now, and, Beautiful. and be able to really claim who I'm meant to be, to be able to go back and look. There's a, there's a Sanskrit saying which says that um, a lion, when he walks away, with all his lionhood, turns around and surveys the jungle that he has left behind. You know, and I feel like I've turned around and look with great royalty. And I'm like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I can help other people who are stuck in alleys. Mm, beautiful. So how old was your son when you left? Oh, just a baby. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you were, how long were you married? Um, I was really only married for a couple of years. Oh, that's good. I lived with my partner for even less of time. Yeah. Because I came and, and then I moved back to my family because I knew that, I just knew that while I want to respect these set of people, if I stay any longer, I'll stop respecting myself. Mm, wow. I, I would say that's very fast and good for you, even with a baby and that you went and you trusted. Yeah, it was very bold. It was bold yeah. for me to do that in the India 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, 35, 40 years ago, uh -huh. India is much more progressive now. Yeah. And divorce, even in America, is frowned upon. And yeah. Um, you know, it, it, but, but especially it, in India, I mean, there, it's more in India. Yeah. But there is a part of me that makes me a teacher is like, once I get this inner clarity, then I will face any consequence. Mm -hmm. That fortitude in me is from some past life. Yes, Crazy. absolutely. And then, and then the other reason, yeah, you, this was like your school, like you said, this marriage. But your son, this, this beautiful gift that he is to the world now, it's like that, you know, even though the marriage didn't work out, it was for your growth and your son and just to have this amazing life now. It's amazing. So um, what does it mean to have a marriage rooted in patriarchy? Um, can you, can you, can you ask your question again? Oh yeah. So what's the, I'll just ask another question. What's the issue with a patriarchal marriage? Patriarchal marriage as well as patriarchal relationships have very set roles for men and women. And even in America, I find that if men and women are both earning we find that women come back and do more chores in the household mm -hmm. or, or they raise babies where a man can open a can of beer and sit down. You know, there is this, the problem with patriarchy is that it's a narrative that we've all somewhere subconsciously agreed to, which, which is a false narrative of superiority of one gender over another. And not only is the female gender secondary and people of non-binary genders or gender expansive bodies don't even count. And this is, a, this is a scenario 
that's that's so obviously not right that we need to grow out of it but now women are raising voices for example in iran women are out on the streets this is the first time this has happened really exciting and um, in america while in some states abortion has been banned women are um, not taking it lying down and i feel like if we keep up keep up this roaring in different ways give it another 150 to 200 years and we're out of this nightmare that we've all signed up to somewhere and with patriarchy comes this internalized misogyny where we somewhere give up on ourselves where we somewhere scold ourselves this is the birth of how a woman's hair should shine how she should cross her feet and sit how she should walk how she should talk there's so much deliberation on how a woman should be that her spirit cannot come through and um, while you called me beautiful thank you i acknowledge that i have a certain um, physical attributes that look attractive but i have gone through periods of time where um where i i don't i don't brush my hair or or or, or i've gained way too much weight or i have uh, you know not chosen to look appealing because i was lost in contemplation or a meditative trance or a, or i'm writing a book like sovereign self which is so deep that I needed to be somewhere else inside me. And to be able to do all of that, I had to go beyond my body and into this place, which, which is the pure self, the pure spirit, which, you know, you do that when you channel and you heal, you, you go beyond being your children's mom and your partner's wife to touch something universal and eternal in you and cultures where and in the planetary culture where patriarchy abides, a woman is rarely able to do that. Even if you look at all the images of yogi, you know, it's always like a male yogi sitting under a tree, meditating. And we have this celibate Buddha, which is like our everybody's hero. And I don't have, I mean, I love the Buddha, but um, we don't have those female role models who can uh, who can have wild hair and uh, <laughs> crazy you know crazy days and uh, and weight that's in the wrong places of the body and yet they are venerated for just who they are and uh, at least I want to live in a world like that so in my life I live like that the way I want to. And it all begins, the change begins with you. So I started that change. And I hope my presence, my writing, my teachings, my voice gives permission to other women to, to explore who they are even beyond their gender. Um, to, to first embrace their gender and then go beyond their gender into the space where there is eternalness. That's been my desire. Mm. 
Yeah, that's, that's amazing what you said about your beauty. And I'm just taking it in. And um, it's just interesting, because I see your inside beauty. I don't just see your outside beauty. (laughs) And it's just, um, it's just interesting, because like society, when you say to someone they're pretty, or they're beautiful, it's like society thinks it's about the appearance. And when I say that to someone, what I mean is their soul, their soul is beautiful. Your soul shines out from you um, like the sun. And that vision that you have, I, I hope we all have for each other and ourselves, because that's what is sorely missing. Mm. Because for a while there, I can tell you, dear friend, that I, when I was lost in that marriage, I would dress a certain way, I would look a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, we all get there, and I have so many students who do that. Um, they they lose touch, they, they lose that vision which you are talking about. Yeah. And it's not their fault. I mean, no one really teaches (laughs) except for you, (laughs) you teach that, (laughs) but, um, yeah, they don't always have uh, a teacher like you in their life, you know? Um, so I wanted to go back to, um, your experience and your lessons. How do you feel like you lost your voice? Do you mean like, you would dress a certain way and you'd want to appear like everything was fine in your marriage? So for the voice, you know, it to, for, for it to be a roar, it has to be first and foremost truthful or straightforward, like connected, like your thoughts, your feelings, your speech, they should be aligned. There's a Sanskrit word called arjivam, which means they're aligned like an arrow. But when we start pleasing people for survival, for, uh, you know, for points, that you're a good wife, good daughter-in-law, good Mm -hmm. girl, good person. A lot of people have that. There is no alignment between what you're really feeling, what you're really speaking, what you're really thinking. And this begins the process of self-deception. And this is where you start losing the voice. Because for a while there, the soul speaks to you. The goddess-like self speaks to you. She guides you from within. But the more you are playing these, you're hustling in your relationships, whether you live in the east or the west, north or the south, if you're caught up in the hustle of, um, you know, keeping things in status quo, pleasing people or, letting them hear what or you know what they can say or like measuring your words to a point makes sense but excessively you're measuring every word you say for its impact it may be that you have now lost your voice which which not only means that you can't speak your truth but there's something worse you can't hear your truth Ooh. that's the more painful part yeah (laughs) yeah right if you can't speak it it's fine but at least you should know it yeah if you don't know it you're lost well and another issue is that 
you may hear that voice and not follow it. And, and, and that happens a lot for women too, just like not trusting. And I do it too. Uh, it's in my own life, you know, not trusting that inner voice and guidance and um, not following through with it or thinking it's important and listening to it. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, some people don't hear it as loudly, but some people hear it and choose not to do it. Yeah. And, and I also had periods when I wouldn't listen to it. And after a while, it stops talking to you. That's a That's scary a good part. point. That's, That's a, a scary point. part. And now I listen to it so much that if I don't listen to it, like I heard it and I don't follow through, uh-huh. I get physically sick. I, I, wow. I'm like joking. I, I can't, um, you know, and there is, people think that speaking the truth requires aggression. Mm. It doesn't. Mm. Speaking the truth requires conviction, mm-hmm. not aggression. I speak the truth softly, persuasively, calmly, but I won't stop. I will yeah. say it. And the softest speaker when I'm delivering the hardest truths. It makes people listen. Yeah, it makes Sorry? people listen more yeah. too. When you yeah, speak they do. softly they do. Yeah. about powerful truths. Yeah, they- I've uncoupled anger from truth. I don't need to be angry to deliver the truth. <laughs> do it peacefully. Yeah. Not violently. Yeah, because then you, you feel it with an open heart and you don't like, because sometimes people can get a little bit like, Oh, wow. With the anger or raised voice. And I mean, obviously you don't want to have that energy when you're delivering something powerful. So that that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so what made you want to find your voice again after your suffering? The suffering because unfortunately uh, when i had suppressed the voice or the voice had become suppressed lost inside me because i was busy um in a fight mode or a flight mode or a freeze mode dealing with rejection dealing with um things that were uncomfortable in my relationship in my marriage first marriage Fortunately, I had some, I I wasn't just a regular girl. I I feel sorry for girls who are unprepared and that's why they stay in toxic relationships so long. Mm -hmm. I already had training in the scriptures, in yoga, in Ayurveda, in Vedanta from my guru. And as a result, I knew that due to some difficult karma, that I had to complete, I have walked into this difficult set of circumstances. But karma is no, by no means a jail. Karma just requires a judicious response. And my response was, thank you. Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> I, I won't hurt you back. I won't, I won't jail you, but I'm not gonna accept this jail as my destiny. Nor am I gonna accept the shame and blame and I'm going to keep growing. And I didn't know words like feminism back then. Uh-huh. My English was uh, functional yeah. 35 years ago. Now it's my first language, but back then it wasn't. It was something I, I learned at school, but it was not something I spoke all the time. Mm. And um, 
So I didn't know any of these things. Of what am I doing? Like I'm standing up for myself. I, I didn't know all this. I just knew that I had to listen to this urgent voice that said, leave. And I followed. And I'm very, and I'm really glad that I listened to this voice. And, and she's a very good voice. Yay, and honor her. <laughs> so why is uh, now the time for women to roar with all their spiritual power and embrace the gifts of wisdom, peace, and inner freedom? One, it's easier to roar. Like, look at your podcast. You know, there's just so much support for us. There are women who are roaring in every corner of the world in small and big ways. So it's easy to roar and you'll hear a complimentary roar somewhere on the planet. You're not this, this lone voice. So I feel like if I had walked into a bad marriage or rather a suffocating marriage now than back then, it would have been so easy, like in and out, you know, it wouldn't have left so much impression on me like it did back in you know, those days. But so it's one, it's easier Two. I feel like there's an urgency because we are making so much progress in other areas that the area where there is not enough light, where there is darkness still lingering uh, and disgusting and ugly and uh, smelly, that darkness needs to go. There is no room for it anymore. And uh, now is also a good time because there are more and more men and more and more um, great people of every gender who are supporting um, the, 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 the emergence of the feminine gender as a mainstream equal player on our planet. We have so much support now. There are so many great souls um, in the other genders who are supporting us. So. Let's take this opportunity and step up. Yes, let's do it. Well, it's been so amazing connecting with you and hearing all the fireworks. Vicariously, <laughs> you were enjoying Indian Diwali. I know. I was. Yeah. I was. Definitely. I think I was probably Indian in a past life. I really love it. I can believe that. Yes. <laughs> I really love it. So it's been amazing hearing about your book, Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. So much Zen success on your journey, Shunya. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.